Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church Lagos. We hope this sermon answers the doubts or questions that you have about the gospel, its relevance to your life, and the ever-evolving culture around us. Our vision is to see the city of Lagos and beyond renewed by the gospel, and to make that happen, we need your support. You can do this by rating this podcast, following us, and giving through the Give tab on our website, citychurchlagos.com. Thank you for your generosity. We pray this sermon impacts you positively with the gospel. Good morning, church. Happy New Year to you. Um, Today's um, Bible reading will be taken from Psalm 73, verse 28. At the end of the reading, I would say, this is the word of the Lord. Kindly respond by saying, thanks be to God. Psalm, chapter 73, verse 28. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Lord God, we thank you for 2023. You are with us. You are for us. None could be against us. And so, Lord, in the spirit of thanksgiving, we say that in 2024, we want to see you, Lord. We want to see you. We want to see you in all your glory. We want to see you lifted up. And we want to be able to react to you. Saying, holy, holy, holy. And to the lamb that was slain, we want to say, worthy, worthy, worthy. So, Spirit of the living God, we ask that as we go into your word, and as we also take prayers into this coming year, let there be a tangible presence of God before us now. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you'll bring enlightenment, you'll bring inspiration, you'll bring healing by the entrance of your word. We trust you, we believe in you, we love you. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you very much, music team. Thank you. We shall need you guys later. So don't don't get too comfortable. eh? Good morning, everybody. And happy new year. Don't you anybody say happy new year? I know Emmanuel said that we're getting tired of it. It's not yet January 31st. So just let's let's keep saying it. All right. Now we are for people who are joining us for the first time, we're so happy that you came. I don't know whether there's a better time you could have come. Maybe you are looking for a church or and or maybe you just moved into the city and so you're trying to say which church should I go to? And so you are in a place of transition, and transition is really what we are going through. Um as we turn to the next year, transitions. You know, not just for this coming year as we've gone in, but even City Church, we are in a transition. Last, uh, today is going to be our last day being six because tomorrow is our seventh birthday. And God has been faithful. God has been faithful. And so we are transiting into a new phase. And I said that on the 31st, that whenever we are making transitions, there are four things you need to do. The first is that you need to remember. You need to remember. Now, when you remember, that leads to two related things that you are meant to do after. 
you are meant, when you think about, you remember and you think about the things you should have done that you didn't do and the things that you ought not to have done that you did do, then you repent. But at the same time, when you think of, remember all the things that God did for you, the things you deserved, supposedly, and the things you didn't deserve, what do we do? We rejoice. Now, we did a lot of those three, December 31st. The last phase of what we are meant to do is to resolve resolutions. Now, I know some cynical ones among us at this point say, I don't, do, I don't do resolutions again. I think it's a waste of time because we never really fulfill our resolutions. But I think if you think like that, you are mistaken on two grounds why I think it's important to do resolutions. The two are this. One is that you end up achieving far more with resolutions than you do without resolutions. The point is not about fulfilling or doing all the things I resolve to do. The point is the fact that if you decide to set a couple of goals, you would actually achieve some of them. And if you didn't set goals, you probably achieve less goals than when you did set them. I, I, you understand me? But the second and probably more important is this, and it's quite related, is resolutions help you set goals. And because they help you set goals, and you know that's where I'm going, they give you a direction. You are not aimless in the way you live. And as Christians, more important than anyone, it's not just that we're not aimless and that we're just looking for direction. Beyond human direction, we need what you call divine direction. And if the direction is divine, it usually would have at least about two components. When we think about hearing God, there is the side of the prophetic and there's the side of wisdom. What is a prophetic direct revelation from God? What is wisdom? Well, wisdom is the decisions that are taken in, in alignment with the principles that we derive from revelation. Should I say that again? Wisdom are the decisions that we take that are in alignment with the principles we get from revelation. And so you usually would have those two sides to it, or let me put it in another way, it will be the intersection of the prophetic and wisdom, which we like to call discernment. If we are going to proceed, we need, with divine direction, what we are basically saying is, we need discernment to get that divine direction. Without it, we are in problems. So let me show you what Proverbs 29 verse 18 says. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no revelation, in the ESV it says prophetic vision, people cast off restraints. It says, but blessed, another translation says, happy is the one who heeds wisdom's direction, instruction, sorry. Do you see it? The prophetic and wisdom, they enable us to see where we should go so that we have direction alive. Because to be without direction, you cast off restraint, but at the same time, you end up in misery. And so with that, as a church, we've often tried to theme that prophetic wisdom or that discerning direction with one word. Now, maybe I can just go through some of the years. In 2018, well, we didn't do 2017. 2017, really, 2017, the, year for 20, the word for 2017 was launch, shall launch. It's your start. But 2018, the word was focus. 2019, the word was faith. 2020, the word was perspective. That was particularly um, uh, prophetic because the, the verse of scripture was about God showing us, uh, giving us perspective so that we can number our days. And COVID followed two, three months after. 
or to know our life's end. Exactly, to know our life's end. 2021, coming out of 2020, it was courage. 2022 was invitation. Who remembers what 2023 was? Inside out. Inside out. And so, I want to tell you what this year's word is. Usually, they will come to me sometime, maybe like middle of the year. This one came around September, and this one probably, I am more sure about this one than any other one that we received. So, in 2024, the word and the theme that will shape the direction of this church, the word and the theme that will shape how we live out everything that we do. Well, most of the things that we do. The word that is going to shape how we believe God is directing us. You ready for it? Ready for it? The word is inside out. Let me put it this way. I know it's a bit of a, forget the people that try to shout, woo, woo, it's a bit of a letdown. Because like, ah, like, pastor just tell us, you weren't really connected with God. <laughs> you know, it's like that person, that preacher that comes and he didn't prepare and nothing is coming in and he just says, he opens his Bible and he's about to, and just says, you know, I'm feeling like we should sing a song. <laughs> and then he sings the third one. And I said, look at my notes. There's nothing in the notes. He said, look at my notes, but I don't feel that we should do that. We should just worship God. I wish I could tell you that's the case, but actually... I felt the Lord really strongly say that he's not done with us with the inside out. You see, many times we often think about what we want to do for God. But as much as God is concerned with our doing, he's first concerned with our being. Many times we want God to work through us. But as much as God wants to work through us, he first wants to work in us. Amen. Now, God did many things with us inside out. But he's saying that he's not yet done with working in us and then through us. When you think about our city, it's a very great city. But what God says about the great city of Nineveh and he says about the great city of Lagos is, whilst you see many good things, there are also many great problems. And the kinds of people that he can truly use to change the city are people that he has worked inside first so that he can work outside with them. God is not done with us from the inside out. So when you think about it, maybe just say, not just say inside out, maybe inside out 2.0. How about that? God hasn't stopped working with us. And so I'm going to take us through a time of going through the word. I texted some people today. I said, you know, Christmas, Carol, someone, I gave you 20-something minutes. The previous one, prayer says, I was giving you 40 minutes. I'm back. Oh. Uh, I'm back. I'm back. We are going to tabernacle here. But essentially, I want to give my time. Uh, I want to give me some time because we need to establish what it is that God is going to do with us. But also, it's not ending here. We're going to pray. We need to pray into the coming year. Praying together, but also praying over you guys as we come in. So are we ready? All right, let's start. In 2015, I spent about six plus weeks in the U.S., um, doing a number of things. Now, obviously, I wasn't staying with anybody. You know how Nigerians, when we travel abroad, what is the first thing we are doing? We are looking for who we are going to stay with, family, people. It don't matter how inconvenient it is because we don't like spending money. 
Now, at some point in time, many of us grow out of that because it's very, very constraining. Maybe they give you the food you don't want. Maybe the room is too small. Maybe their child is always crying. If it's UK, maybe three of us have to share one toilet. You know, that kind of thing. So eventually, I start going to hotels. And I was staying in hotels. And here's the thing with hotels is that no matter how nice the hotels are, how many of you, when you get into a hotel, you are already thinking about the day you are leaving? You know, many, some of us, no matter how long, we don't actually unpack because you know that I'm going. So in hotels, you are somewhat always sort of destabilized. You are, not nev- you are never really truly stab- settled. So imagine six weeks. And in fact, I stayed in different parts of the U.S. So I was moving up and about. By the time I got to the fourth week, and a lot of what I was doing was ministry stuff. By the time I got to the fourth week, I can assure you I wasn't very much a Christian again. I wasn't. I was with pastors. I didn't want to talk to people. People were asking me stuff. I was giving them monosyllabic answers because I was so reminded of the fact that I was not home. I wasn't in a place where it's not about packing. All my things are already unpacked. I'm not thinking about when I'm leaving. But more importantly, I'm not away from the people that I love. I wasn't home. And because I wasn't home, I wasn't my best self. The passage that Timmy read for us, can I read it in the message translation? Listen to what it says. It says, but I am in the very presence of God. Oh, how refreshing. I have made Lord God my home. You know the converse is true. If God is not your home, if you are not living with God as your home, you know what happens? It's not very refreshing. You live an unrefreshed life. Now, if you don't want to know what an unrefreshed life is, the psalmist tells you in the entire psalm, from really from verses 2 to 12. Remember what we said about somebody that is not living in their home, they are living in a hotel, that they become agitated, they become unsettled. Well, this is essentially what the psalmist happens with the psalmist. He is quite agitated. You see, when we are with God, we are being formed in ourselves. And the Bible talks about how God forms us. We are being transformed into one image from one glory to another. We are being conformed into the image of Christ. My little children in whom I travel until Christ be formed in you. God forms us. But as Henry Nouwen, the late Dutch priest, says, when we are away from God, it's not about being formed. We are being fabricated. A self, we are being fabricated into our worst selves. How are we being fabricated? We are being fabricated not by God, but by what he calls societal compulsions. We look out in the world, and the things of the world are the things that form us or fabricate our worst selves. Let me show you. You see, the psalmist in that Psalm 73, he tells you how he thinks normally when he is not near God. He starts with, or maybe I'll just summarize it with with verse 3. He says, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Later, he tells us, you know what? They have no struggles. They are free from common human burdens. Pride is their necklace. 
From callous hearts come iniquity. They scoff and speak malice. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. It looks like the guy had a PhD in understanding the wicked. When he says all of these things, where are his eyes focused? Where is his eyes focused? Help me. On the wicked, right? Where does he see the wicked? In his home? Where does he see the wicked? Outside. He's viewing them outside. He studied them so well that he actually understands. Look at them. Look at them. Look at them. See what they do. See what they do. See what they do. This psalmist, at this point, is living his life. He's made his home outside. He's living his life where? From the outside inwards. And listen, guys, if we form ourselves or we get fabricated by our societal compulsions, little wonder why we live compulsive lives. Later, the psalmist tells us the fruit of that life. In verse th uh, uh, 22, he says that that is an ignorant way of thinking. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. In verse 15, he tells us that it leads people astray. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. In 13 to 14, he shows us that people that live that kind of life, they complain endlessly. He says, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. And I have washed my hands in innocence. Verse 14, he says, all day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. And worst of all, in verse 15, 21, it shows us that you end up being sad and bitter. Look at what it says in verse 21. It says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. Whenever we live far away from our home, or let me put it another way, when we live life from the outside in, all that happens is that there is a fabrication of your worst self. You would view people, you would look at the world standard of success, you look at the world standard of value, and having viewed from there, it changes you from the inside. You become an unrefreshed life. And do you know what unrefreshed people do? They make others unrefreshed as well. Amen? But God has got better plans for you in 2024. I didn't hear an amen. I said God has better plans. He has more wonderful things concerning you in 2024. So what's the solution? Well, it's very simple. The solution is make the Lord your home. Make the Lord your home. Let's go back to that text again. It says, but I'm in the very presence of God. Oh, how refreshing it is. I have made the Lord God my home. So the psalmist says, when I was away, I was senseless. I was ignorant. So where did everything change? Because after he's viewed that the wicked are prospering, and it seems like following God is actually not the best thing. In verse 16, he says, I try to understand all of these things, but it troubled me deeply. Until, somebody say until. Until, and this is where everything changed. Until I 
entered the sanctuary of God. In other words, until he went inside. But it's not inside himself. This isn't some kind of Zen Buddhism. It is inside the sanctuary of God. When he entered there, all of a sudden, his ignorance dissipated. When he went inside to be with God. In other words, he discovered that true life does not start from the outside. It starts from the inside. But inside where and inside with who? Inside with God. How often? Always. You know the confession we said many times um, uh, throughout last year. It was from this psalm. Do you remember? From verse 23. It says, yet I am always with you. Notice this. It is not God is always with us. That is true. The point is God is always there ready to be with us. The question is this. Are you going to be with him? Yet I am always with you. I know how many of you know this. There's an interesting thing I think with the Psalms. You know the Psalms, a wonderful book of the Bible, but we often think it's a book. The Psalm is not a book. The Psalm is actually five books. Right? The first book is 1 to 41. The second book is 42 to 72. The last book is 107 to 150. Now, books 3 and 4, which I want to bring out a point here, show something. Book 3 is 73 to 89. So, 73 is the first chapter of book 3 of the Psalms. At the end of 73, it tells us, I have made the Lord God my home. But in book 4, the opening of the first chapter and the first verse is Psalm 90 verse 1. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. We always start with God. Life inside is the way we proceed to go outside. And this Psalm 73 really reminds me of Psalm 23. They are very similar. Because when you go on the inside, it is the only basis upon which you are guided in life. Remember how he says, says, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand and then you will take me into glory. That is God's final destination is to take us to glory. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, Psalm 23 says. But how does it start? It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord of the Lord. God is taking us somewhere if he's truly our shepherd when we go in with him. But also the fact that he's taking us to a particular destination, it gives us the assurance that even during the journey, any difficulty during the journey, that we can be assured of his presence and that is the most important thing. He says, my heart and my flesh may fail but God is the strength of my heart forever. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though my enemies are all around me, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When we start our life from the inside, we don't envy the wicked. We look forward to helping the wicked because God is taking us somewhere. Probably as you think about the Psalms, yes, this God is my shepherd is such a powerful thing. But when I think of Isaiah 40 verse 11, I think this encapsulates what it really means to be inside with God as our shepherd. Many times we want to know God and so we learn principles about God. We quote verses about God. But you know, it is only truly when you are very close to a person that you understand the spirit behind what they said. 
And so Isaiah 40 tells us what God is like as a shepherd. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs where? Doesn't keep them away. And then what does he do? He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that are young. Do you understand? You can only have a relationship with me one, there's one kind of relationship you can have with me. Keep listening to my sermons. But you don't truly know who I am. You may say, oh, those things he's saying, what is the base upon which he said it? Why is he saying that? If we are close, if we spend time together, you can understand. And I'm trying to say this, when we say we're going inside with God, it's not just about knowing who God is or what God is about. God is there waiting to form, to shape us, to bring us close to his heart. He is our beloved. He is our beloved. You know, the writer Paul Miller says, you can't create intimacy. You make room for it. If you are a spouse and you are trying to create intimacy with your spouse, you don't create intimacy. You set times. You just be with them. It is when we make room for intimacy that intimacy itself comes. And the same it is with God. And so in 2024, we're going to be continue to press that everyone should make it a point of duty to spend time with God. The word solitude means solo. It comes from the word solo, which means alone, but not just alone with ourselves. Being alone with God. I don't care how busy you are. In fact, if you are very busy, that's the very reason why you should be able to press in and press in. God is not looking to use people who he cannot work in first. I'm in the very presence of God. Oh, how refreshing. Oh, how refreshing. And the first step is intimacy. Inside. Spending time with God, solitude with God. But there's often a mistake that some people make. You can be so into solitude with God that you find that, you, you forget that God is not just seen in your spiritual experiences. You can actually see God very tangibly. There was a guy called Saul of Tarsus. He was a rabbinic scholar and he was very zealous, zealous for the Jewish faith. And he didn't like this new sect that was coming up called Christianity. And so out of his zeal, he decided to start persecuting the church. And one day, on his way to get some Christians who had been persecuted and had run away to um, Syria, on his, on his way to Damascus, something happened. A light from heaven came down, knocked him off his horse. And then a voice in heaven came out and said, so, so, why are you persecuting Christians? Is that what he said? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? Is that what he said? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? Is that what he said? 
If he said any of those things, would that be wrong? Would that be wrong? But he says, why are you persecuting what? Me. I'd be like, well, I, I, I don't understand, but of course we do. He's so identified with his people that he says, me. John saw it, put it in a picture. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Saul, who also is known as Paul, eventually writes, he says, he is the head. We are the body. So, to see Jesus in another dimension is really to see his people. Are you following me? And to see Jesus is really to see the Father. For the Father is revealed in the face of Jesus. What am I saying? It's not a choice between solitude or and community. It is both. That is, we seek God on our own, yes. But actually, we seek his face in the faces of each other. Are you following me? Because many times the choice between community and solitude comes up. And some people like to be on their own. This is why some people say, I, I love me and Jesus, we are just good. Once you start bringing church people in, in it starts complicating matters. For some people, we really enjoy coming together. But the time with God is a problem. I love the way the German theologian um, and pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, puts it. He says, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound perils and pitfalls. Each by itself has profound perils and pitfalls. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. We see the face of God in each other. But let me put one more spin to that. We seek the face of God together. The psalmist in Psalm 34 verse 3 says, glorify or magnify the Lord with what? Me. Let us exalt his name together. So whenever we are saying we are going inside to be with God, yes, it is you on your own, but also we are to seek God together and see his face in one another. And so in 2024, we're again going to push against surface relations. We want broader and deeper relationships. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while and you're still saying, well, you know what? Uh, it's not for me. Let me tell you straight up, and I want to be very blunt. And I know some of us here that have been coming to church for a while. There are aspects of your Christian life you will not ascend to if you try to live it alone. There are aspects of your Christian life you will not ascend to if you try and leave it alone. Some of us are waiting to be very good before we go into community. Wrong. That's why God has given you community. Some of us are looking to be, to need people before we enter community. No. God has put you there to also serve people. When we go inside, we get refreshed by being with God and being with his people. Amen? So intimacy being with God. Community being with his people. And now the last part. Ministry. Go back to that psalm. He says, oh, I am in the very presence of God 
Oh, how refreshing it is. I've made Lord God my home. God, I am telling the world what you do. Or in the NIV, it says, but as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Do you notice the order? Intimacy, community, and then ministry. Jesus shows us this in Mark chapter 3, verse 14 to 15. Jesus went up to the mountainside, intimacy to be with God. Then he called the twelve right? The 12 community. And what did he do when he called them together? He, that, he might, that they might be with him and that he may send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. You know the problem is often we reverse the order. Quite often when we want to work for God or not even work for God, let's just be honest, we're working for ourselves. We like to achieve something. What do we do? We try and figure out how to do it first. When we don't know how to do it, when it's not working, what do we do? We call somebody. And when people eventually can't really give us the solution, do you know what we then do? God, help me. We go from what ministry, we then go to community, and then we land in intimacy. But you know the problem, once you reverse the order, intimacy is no longer intimacy. Community is no longer community. Ministry is no longer ministry. In fact, you know what happens when people call you who have not spoken to you in a long time and all of a sudden, they call you like somebody did recently with me. They call you and they now start asking, so how are you doing? How's your friend? What do you want to say? Get to the point. You need something from me, isn't it? When we reverse the order, we don't call it intimacy. We call it using people. That is why, again, if you are so zealous for helping people, let me tell you, if you are not doing it from a place of intimacy, you are helping people to get to feed your ego that I'm the kind of person that helps somebody. When you're just calling people at the time you need them and you're trying to make it seem as though you know I like you. No. You're trying to get something from them. He called them so that they may be with him together. Then he sent them out. Now guys, if we are refreshed people, we go out to refresh other people. Amen. And the way we know that we've truly been with God is that he sends us out to specific kinds of people. And here are the four people that I want us to continue to focus on. The four people that, four categories of people that God sends people, us out to go and meet. One, the lost. Two, the least. Three, the laggard. Four, the lonely. One, the lost. Two, the least. Three, the laggard. Four, the lonely. One is what? Two, the least. Three, the laggards for the lonely. Let's start. The lost. Who are the lost? I just showed you how even as Christians, and to be, Christ, to be Christian is to be positionally in right relationship with God. But it is possible to be positionally in the right relationship with God, but you are, in terms of intimacy, you are far away from God. And the result of that is that you live an unrefreshed life, isn't it? But what about people who it's not that they are intimate with God. They are not even positionally with God. What do you think will be that kind of life? Both now and to eternity. 
Well, the psalmist is actually not unclear about what that kind of life is. He says in verse 17, I understood the destiny of the wicked. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed. They are like a dream when one awakes. And verse 27 encapsulated all. Those who are far from you will perish. There is a lot of mincing of words nowadays in trying to reach out to people that we actually forget this fate of people who are lost. We are so casual because maybe somehow, somewhere, we don't totally believe it. But the Bible is clear on it. But here's another thing I want to see. And this bug, it bugs me, personally, in my life sometimes, but also in the life of Christians. When lost people behave like how lost people are meant to behave, you know how we Christians be, react. We are angry. Just pause. Think about it. We're angry. Hey, look at what this singer is doing. Look at the kind of videos they're shooting. Did the singer tell you they were Christians? The lost people are behaving the way they are meant to be. But often when we think about lost people, we are irritated. We are judgmental. We are oftentimes just annoyed with them. Most of, we're afraid of them. Don't allow your children to go near. We don't want to touch that evil thing. And the thing about all of these things is this is what it creates. It creates distance. When you are judgmental of someone, it creates distance. When you are annoyed with someone, distance. When you are irritated by someone, distance. When you are afraid of someone, distance. Somehow it has entered into the mind of Christians that our what we are meant to do with the lost is somehow we are meant to conquer them. We are meant to defeat them. Think about the people that we hate the most in this country. You know who we hate the most? The category of people we hate the most. I'll just tell you, and it's true, you can't lie. Politicians. Politicians. For some of us, especially if they were not obedient, right? We don't. We despise them. We are trying to find out how to bring them down. Constantly speaking about them. You see, they are corrupt. They are lost. How do you expect them to behave? Can you love them? The worst set of people in Jesus' day, one of them, he was, rem he was, he was, he was, um, what's the word? He was um, taken aback by Jesus. So one day Jesus was passing by and he said, I need to see Jesus. He went on a trip because he was a short person. He saw Jesus. Everybody hated this person. He was a tax collector. Tax collectors were worse than sinners. That's why the, the phrase, tax collectors and sinners. They are sinners, but they are tax collectors. So as a sinner, you can say, thank God I'm not a... They used to pray like that. The Pharisees said, thank God I'm not like this tax collector. They were the worst of the worst. So this tax collector, everybody knows, he's on a tree. And all these people who, have, who love Jesus, all of that, everything, Jesus looks up. Tax collector, Zacchaeus, he said, you know what? I'm going to be in your house today. We are going to have dinner. What? He didn't invite Jesus. Jesus what invited himself to be with him. People scoffed. He is going to dinner with a sinner? Doesn't he know? And then Jesus went to his house. Had dinner with him. Zacchaeus repented of all the things he'd done. And Jesus said, you people that don't understand. You think that being away from sinners is the way a righteous person is meant to behave. 
Let me tell you the principle. He says, for the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost or the lost. Are you understand what I'm saying? As Christians, our direction towards the lost is not to go away from them. It is going towards them. Yes, to that person that is living a gay lifestyle. Yes, to that Yahoo boy. Yes, to that pole dancer. Yes, to that stripper. Yes, to that person that is corrupt. What is our direction towards them? If you have spent time being refreshed in the presence of the Lord, you will know that he came to seek and to save the lost. And so, as we get refreshed in the presence of God in 2024... If you thought we didn't emphasize it well enough in 2023, just wait. 2024, we are going to win them over. Listen, our job is not to score a win over the lost. We are meant to win them over to Christ. We are meant to have the compassion that Jesus had when he looked at them as sheep without shepherd. It was when he looked at them with compassion, he then said, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers. May the Lord grant us that compassion in Jesus' name. The second is the least. Who are the least? Hmm. Jesus tells us about the least. And I want to read a passage for us. Jesus talking about what the last day will look like in Matthew chapter 25. He says this, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Verse 36. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. He's saying this. That the people that will be with him in all eternity, this is what they did. And in verse 40 he says, The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, the least of these, the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you did Listen, I said we have a great city, but it's a great city with great challenges. And a lot of the challenges, I'm, whoever is watching from wherever you are, a lot of challenges that I'm not going to the economics of it, I'm not going to go into the structural issues with it. All I'm trying to say is there's a fact of there are people like that. Jesus describes them with six descriptions. He said there are people who are hungry. There are people who are thirsty. There are people who are foreigners. There are people who... Um, 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 are naked. There are people who are uh, um, what's the word? Sick. And then there are people who are imprisoned. I thank God for what we've what are we meant to do with them? I thank God for what we've been doing with them. A lot of you have generously, last year was our best giving year in terms of our Jubilee Fund and we did justice initiatives and all of those things and we will continue to emphasize trying to be generous with our financial resources in helping to lift them. Amen? But I want to say a little bit more about this. Do you notice Jesus that told Saul, you are persecuting me, the church. What did he say in this passage? He said, when I was hungry, you visited you, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was a stranger, you let me in. When I was sick, you looked after me. And when I was in prison, you visited me. And they're like, 
Wait, wait, where did we do all of these things? He said, I identify, I show solidarity with the least. I want that to probably blow your mind as much as it blows my mind. He's saying that there is something about God, about Jesus, that you will not fully see unless you are with the least of these. Jesus is just doing something that the Old Testament already shows us about God. That God identifies with the least. In Proverbs chapter 19 verse 17, it says, Whoever is kind to the poor does what? I thought we were giving to the poor. I thought it would be that we are lending to the poor. But no, it says we are lending to who? The Lord. That is, in other words, God, and this may sound blasphemous to some people, but God is among the poor. It's not saying God is poor per se, but he's saying that God, there is a way that we can only find God, God in us, by being among those who are the least. Why? Because when you think about our spiritual state, that's why it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. When you think about our spiritual bankruptcy, that is exactly where God met us. So that's why it says that those who, blessed is the one who considers the poor. I can put the challenge much more clearly and forcefully. And by the way, I'm going to be speaking to myself. This is a big challenge for me too. When you have somebody that has means and you find the least of these, you know the quickest way to solve that problem? Give them. Because whilst you are giving them, it may do something for them. But you know that in a way, sometimes the giving to them is a way of keeping them at arm's length. Don't call me. What is it? You need money? Take 10,000. So don't call me again. We love the fact that there are orphanages around. You know why? Especially now that we have technological whatever. Please send me your account number. But we never get close to them. Jesus said, you visited me in prison. God that we're saying we want to have solitude with. He's saying, I have solidarity with the least of these. In other words, if you are really spending solo time with God, you will eventually have solidarity with the people that God has solidarity with. And that solidarity means bridging the distance between yourself and them. Not just with your finances, but with the generosity of your presence. There's a guy called Toyohiko Kagawa. Toyohiko Kagawa was a great Japanese man. Maybe you give me the picture of um, the great man. He was basically the Mahatma Gandhi of Japan or the Martin Luther King Jr. of Japan. Um, but he was a Christian. He was a social reformer. He was also a theologian. He wrote uh, over a hundred books, some on theology, some on poetry, some on economics. One of the most popular Japanese um, figures of the 20th century. Did a lot of things for social reforms. But he was a Christian. 
Now, normally at the time when he was growing up, Christianity was not a thing. The, the religions that were there was a blend of Confucianism, uh, Taoism, and I can't remember, uh, Shintoism. So it wasn't. But some missionaries came. And that's how he gave his life. When he was about 19, I think he wanted to, no, 15, he wanted to learn English. And the person that taught him English was a man called H.W. Um, Myers. And he taught him English, but also eventually led him to the Lord, H.W. Myers. At 19, after graduating, to Hidokagawa went to the slums and he started preaching in the slums. But all of a sudden, one time he started preaching and he started getting weak and he started coughing and he started wondering there was a problem. Eventually he went to a doctor and they found out that he had tuberculosis. This is like 1909. He was born in 1888. So this is like 1903. So the treatment for tuberculosis at that time wasn't great. It took him about, he, he thought he was going to die. The, the doctor had already written his certificate for cremation and left him one night. And he had an experience and God somehow miraculously healed him. But a month and a half after, the thing came back. And this time, people were so scared about getting it. So he moved away from the slum. He moved far away into a cottage. And in that cottage, there was no mat. There was nothing. He didn't have any money. So he got some straw and just laid there. Nobody came near him for a year for fear of, capture, of, 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 of catching disease. Then H.W. Myers heard about the disease, about what was going on. On vacation, he left his wife. He came to the cottage. He spent four days with him. And on the first night, as he was about to sleep on the same bed as Kagawa, he stopped. And Kagawa asked him, Are you not afraid of me? Because let's be honest. When people have a contagious disease, they're afraid of them. We stay away. Some of us, it's not that deep. When people have body odor because they can't afford deodorant, what do we do? We stay away. We're afraid. For some of us, some people, when they don't talk with the accents that we have, and we don't want them to, we don't know what kind of rough upbringing they have, so we're afraid of them. We don't invite them to our house. We stay away. For some people, it's just, ah, they are so sick. They may ask us for something, or we don't want them to ask us for something. So what do we do? There is a love that overcomes that distance. There is a love that puts us in the place of inconvenience. Where can I get such a love? If you try and manufacture it, it will not work. It comes from the place of solitude, of spending time with a God who does not keep distance from those who are the least of this. Guys, I pray that this church will not just be a church where we continue to give people. I pray that we'll be found. We would spend time. We will go to the places where are most convenient, the places that we are scared of, to go and be with the least of these. Why? Because that is exactly where our Lord and Savior is. Can I get an amen? We go as refreshed people to refresh.
refresh on us. The lost, the least. Now the laggards. Who are the laggards? Well, a laggard is a person who makes slow progress and falls behind others. A person who makes slow progress and falls behind others. Now, that happens for a variety of reasons, but when you are falling behind in life, especially, I was about to say, I don't care how educated you are. In fact, imagine you are well-educated and all of a sudden you try for jobs, you are trying everything and you are not getting, you are not getting ahead. Lawyers will often say, ha, ah, God, and this person got this job oh, and I was, I, 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 I was called to the bar two years before them. I don't know why lawyers are always talking about when they were called to the bar, but, but they often, it's a big thing. Lawyers in the house, amen, because uh, I live with one, so I know. And I work with many of them. But you are falling behind. There are plenty of people like that. Lack of direction. Making the wrong decisions that make them fall behind. What is at the root of this problem? Some people have this in their relationships. Some people have this in their marriages. Falling behind. Lagging. If you've ever been in any position of lagging behind, you know how that severely affects you. What is part of the root of it? I'm not saying it's the only thing, but this, the root of, part of the root of it is this. Maybe I'll illustrate with this. I want to, let me take it from the, term, from the standpoint of vocation and tell you two uh, stories of Jesus. One is at the end of Jesus' ministry. One is at the beginning. Let me start with the one at the end. And it's with the disciples. Remember, what is the vocation of Jesus' disciples? Huh? They were what? Most of them, sorry, the early ones were what? Fishermen. And so one time, Jesus has risen from them, but he's not with them. They say they are going to go and catch fish. They go in the night. And they go in the night. They toil and toil and toil. This is in John 21. They couldn't get any fish. Jesus is standing at the shore early in the morning. They see him. They are coming back. Jesus said, you know your problem. Your problem is that you went at the wrong time. Go back. Cast your nets. They cast their nets. The fish was so much that the net wanted to start breaking. First story. The problem was they didn't have the right timing in relation to how they were living out their vocation. And eventually, give the, Jesus gave them direction and they were successful. The first and earlier one was when Jesus called the first few disciples. They were fishing. And Jesus said, come and follow me. And I will is going to be different from what you are doing now in the career change, but it's going to be rooted in some ways based on principles of what you are doing before. You were fishing for fish, but now you will fish for people. In both instances, they were successful. Why were they successful in, their, in, their, in, their, in, in what they were doing, in their vocation? Why were they successful? Because they heard the voice of Jesus. They received divine direction. So what is at the root sometimes of why people are lagging behind? Lack of divine direction. Look at Proverbs 20 verse 24. A person's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand their own way? Some marriages fall because we are trying to understand our own way. Some careers fail because we are trying to understand our own way. Some ministries fail because we are trying to understand our own way. Some investments fail because we are trying to understand our own way. So many of us fail because we are trying to understand our own way. So what do we need? 
we need direction from the Lord. How does that direction come? Well, we may say, ah, God speaks to me directly. Yes, but let me tell you, more often than not, Proverbs chapter 20, Proverbs 11 verse 14, let me say it in a message translation. Listen to what it says. With good direction, without good direction, what happens? But what? The more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances. Let me tell you very, very simply, and I've seen that, in fact, if I want to say one that we've done very well in this church, and we are going to continue to do that, I have seen many people. I have seen somebody come into this church, and the person could not pay rent, and the person is virtually housing about 20 people now, right? I've seen people not earning anything, and now are earning seven to eight figures a year. Why? Not because of a lack of effort. They were putting in a lot of effort. Not because of a lack of gifts. They were putting in a lot of gifts. But they just went to go and meet with this person. Or they went to go and spend some time with that person. And that person gave them direction. The kind of direction. And even though it seemed like that it was coming from that person, God had helped that person over a period of time. So that the wise counsel that that person gave them was the thing that transformed their lives. I have seen people whose marriages were on the verge of breakdown. But they submitted to wise counsel so that the laggards ended up starting to be leaders. I pray that in the year 2024, we will see more laggards come to become leaders with divine direction God changes things the thing here is that whether we'll be open to it but I pray it's not just going to happen here most of us don't spend our time in church we are outside of church from the inside out God is sending you because of what he's done for you and done with you. Now he wants you to be a person who invests in people with right things, with right directions and all of those things so that they can be refreshed. Amen? The final one is we've done the lost, then what? And then? And then finally, there's a loneliness epidemic in the world. The last meta um, um, poll that was done by Gallup showed that one out of every four individuals in the world has either been very lonely or is acutely lonely. One out of every four, almost one out of every four, 24%. And when you go further down, the younger they are, the more that thing increases. Loneliness is now, it's not just that people are committing suicide. No. Loneliness itself is having physiological effects on people that is leading to early death diabetes, so many different kinds of things. Loneliness is a big problem. You know three things that lonely people feel? They say, lonely people feel isolated. They also feel insignificant. And then they feel, what's the third word? Um, isolated, insignificant, and invisible. That is a cocktail to derail anybody's life. If you have internalized, I'm invisible, I'm isolated, and I'm insignificant. Why else do you want to live? Permit me, if I can say that, if you told a lonely person, give me the colors of your life, of how you see life, it will be one color, at most two. It will be gray or it will be dark. When they have to say what they see life as, if they have to paint it with colors, it will be gray. They see life gray on the outside. Why? Because inside is already gray. It's very dreary. It's very gloomy. So what does a lonely person need? 
Well, one solution is what the songwriters, Billy Steinberg and Tom Kelly, proposed. Billy Steinberg and Tom Kelly were wonderful pop writers in the 1980s. Stop laughing. All right. Um, they wrote popular songs. One of them, like Material Girl by Madonna. But there was a more popular song. And this song, let's say, is written to someone called Sad Eyes. How do I say Sad Eyes? Why? Because the opening, the opening of, the, of the, um, the song starts with something like it says, um, You with the Sad Eyes. Don't be discouraged. Oh, I realize it's hard to take courage. But the solution I'm really pointing out is in the second stanza of the song. It goes something like this. It says, Give me a smile then. Can't remember when I last saw you laughing. If this world makes you crazy and you're taking all you can bear, just call me up and you know I'll be there and I'll see your true colors shining through. I'll see your true colors shining through. That's why I love you. So don't be afraid to let them show. Your true colors are beautiful like. That's nice. Now. Notice what he said. He meets somebody whose life is colorless. What's the solution? That somebody who has color in their life can come and refresh them and then the person does have an inner rainbow but that inner rainbow is brought dead because of their depression, because of the issues that they're going through and he says all he needs is for someone to be with them fantastic except for one small problem what is the problem? can you go back to that stanza? what is where everything turns? show me a smile then can't remember when I last saw you laughing. If this world makes you crazy and you've taken all you can bear, just call me up and you know I'll be there. Just call me up. All they need to do is to call up. Call up the person that has an inner rainbow. But if you've ever met and spent time with somebody who is honestly depressed, you will know that the last thing they can do is to call someone up. Please, don't make the mistake I've made. I remember a friend of mine who was severely depressed at various times, and I thought I was doing the best thing. The friend used to tell me, I'm just tired, I'm just tired. I thought I was doing the best thing. I told the friend, I said, when you've lost all energy, just know that you can call me up. I said, just call. Put my number and speed down. Just call. And I kept on being disappointed over and over again that this friend was not going to call me. You see, the problem is that people who are lonely and depressed, it's like they are like orphans. Have you ever tried to tell an orphan to, to, to seek help from you? No, orphans are scared of asking people for help. Why? Because orphans are people who have been left. Because they are scared of being rejected. They don't have the strength to call. They don't have the strength to hear another rejection. And people who are lonely, depressed, you may say it doesn't make sense because I will come immediately. But there is something the darkness inside them has stopped them from being able to even reach out to you. If we tell people, just call me, you are actually doing them more harm than you know. Because they are like orphans. You know what Jesus says in John 18, John 14 verse 18. Jesus understands their plight. 
Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. But what would I do? What they needed to do was to change that song. If this world makes you crazy and you've taken all that you can bear, I will call you and I will be there. Guys, the loneliness that is sweeping through our city, the depression that is going through our city for various things is crying out for refreshing people who have the rainbow of Christ in their lives, who are not just waiting for a call from the lonely, who are going to the lonely to let them know that there is a family that will not leave them. God, who looks at the orphans, he says, I am a father to the fatherless, but he says, I set the lonely where in families. God has called us for such a time as this. We will meet the challenge. In 2024, he's calling us inside with him. Calling us to be with him. Calling us to look at his face. Both with his people but also alone. And then as we do so, he sends us out to the lost, to the least, to the laggards, and to the lonely. May the Lord help us as we go for So City Church, it's my privilege and honor to welcome you to our ministry year of 2024. It is the year of Inside Out. 2.0. Let's rise to our feet. Thanks for listening. If you found this sermon helpful, we hope you join us in the mission of renewing Lagos with the gospel by sharing it, rating this podcast, and following us. These actions help us reach more people with the gospel. You can also connect with us on various social media platforms via the handle at City